Episode 28 of The Corner Booth is brought to you by Procrastination Sports. Go check out our blog at ProcrastinationSports.com. Get all of your sports news, pop culture news, current events news, and podcasts at ProcrastinationSports.com. On today's episode, Mulraney and I dive into the Miami Marlins COVID outbreak, the NBA and NHL restart, Golf is in a, is at the St. Jude Invitational, which is the last tune-up before the PGA Championship. We have a lot to cover, but first, we have a new sponsor. And let me introduce you guys to the newest beverage to hit the ready-to-drink canned sparkling wine cocktail industry. It's called Champagne. Mike says it is absolutely delicious, and I'll tell you what, if I ever decide to fall off the wagon, I am going to fall off the wagon with Champagne. We are launching... Our first two flavors in early 2021, Champagne and Blood Orange, similar to a mimosa, and Champagne and Peach, similar to a Bellini. Check us out on Instagram at drinkchampay, that's at D-R-I-N-K-C-H-A-M-P-E, and follow our journey from inception to launch and everything in between. There will be great giveaways, discount codes, merchandise, and much, much more. Again, that's at drinkchampay, D-R-I-N-K. C-H-A-M-P-E, we can't wait to share our story, and hashtag Champagne all day, away life with you. Wow, how'd I do, Mike? Nailed that first ad read right there, off the phone. Let's do it, baby. Another episode of The Corner Booth. Mulraney and I here, episode 28. Shout out to our new sponsor, Champagne. Mike says it's absolutely delicious, right, Mike? You've given it a try so far? Absolutely. We try all of our products here. Mike's a big fan of it, so there you go. And if anybody knows what they like to drink, it would be Mike, so get out there and give it a try. Champagne all day, everybody. All right, here we go. We got a big week of sports, Mike. First time in a long time. We are gearing up for a lot of things, and just like 2020 has done to us the entire time, they've pissed down our faces. And just when baseball gets going, there is a COVID outbreak. The Miami Marlins had about 14 people, uh, players and personnel. I think it's up to 18 maybe now, test positive for COVID-19. So the Marlins have shut down operations. But let's talk about how bad Rob Manfred is at his job yet again the lack of protocol for if this were to happen and why baseball didn't adopt the bubble system that seems to be what every other league is doing. Um, Go ahead. I'll let you start and I'll chime in after. So one of the things that have come out in recent days is that of the 100 plus COVID regulations that Major League Baseball and the Players Union kind of agreed to and put together, Not one of these over 100 regulations deal with multiple outbreaks within a single team. So basically the Marlins and Don Mattingly voted on whether or not to play the game against the Phillies before the shutdown because they knew of the positive cases before the league. So they voted on to play, which seems like a massive mistake and a massive oversight by the players and the commissioner here. The Phillies and the Yankees game was canceled over the weekend. The Marlins now have all games canceled through Sunday, which would be about a week since the positive tests. We know typically with the virus, it's five to seven days to show symptoms. 
So by then we'll have a clearer idea of who has to sit out and who doesn't. Rosters are 60 people this year. So they do have the ability to pull up minor leaguers. It was said that the Marlins are kicking tires on players who are major league caliber, who might not be on a roster. Your Matt Harvey's, your Bartolo Colon's, your Yasiel Puig's, those kind of guys who might be available. Um, not Harvey now because he signed with the Royals this afternoon. But the Marlins might have to fill out a replacement Shane Falco kind of roster for a week or two. They were 2-1 and one and beat up on the Phillies before they came out there. They were your first place in the National League East team before they dropped down for the virus. But we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a glaring oversight with Manfred, who again seems to have grossly mishandled yet another test of his commissionership. But we'll see what comes out of this. The Marlins are done till Sunday. So I think there's a lot to unfold here. And you made a lot of good points, and I think you brought up everything we need to discuss. First off, let's talk the less serious stuff, which is their roster and how it's made up. Do you think this is going to sound stupid because it's only three games into the season? But do you think if the Marlins are zero and three or one and two, they even are kicking the tires about signing MLB ready players? I think by starting two and one and beating a team like they did in the Phillies, who people think are going to be pretty good. In such a shortened season, I feel like everybody thinks they have a chance. And maybe the Marlins are saying to themselves, let's go get some guys that are ready to perform and maybe we can shock the world type of situation. I think that has to be going on with a lot of teams because it's such a short season. I think my Dodgers let the Giants crawl back into that, right? The, Do- the Dodgers annihilate the Giants the first two games, 2-0. and Then you lose two and the Giants are all of a sudden back into it and yeah. feeling confident. I think that's what's happening with the Marlins. So that's kind of where do they go there. If I was the Marlins, look, all the stats show that this virus affects the elderly people extremely bad, right? It can kill them. But everybody who was in shape with underlying conditions, not even in shape, healthy with, without any underlying conditions, you usually bounce back pretty quickly. If I were the Marlins, I would try to get through the next few games against some teams with the people you have on your roster, yeah, it won't be pretty, but try to just keep your head above water, right? It's baseball. Anything can happen. Keep your head above water. Hopefully get a couple decent pitching performances, and then maybe go with this young team that has a good vibe going that Mattingly said even in spring training he thought was going to surprise some people with the way they competed. And um, you and I even said on our preview show that we don't think the Marlins are going to be as bad as they once were. So I don't know. That's kind of the less serious nature of this conversation. But let's just talk about how dumb the Marlins and Major League Baseball are, right? Well, first off, it's really on Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball does not have any type of protocol if this were to happen. How can you start the season without having any type of protocol suspecting that this might happen? You're not in a bubble. The virus is still spreading pretty rapidly throughout the country and you have zero protocol as to what happens if a team gets an outbreak they had nothing Manfred goes on last night with Verducci on MLB Network Verducci asked him point blank like the first question I just tuned it on or turned it on and Verducci goes you thought this might happen what is the plan moving forward now and Manfred goes well we're gonna have to see what the testing does in the next few days what what does that mean you don't have any type of plan moving forward if this were to happen 
and we were talking about this before we started rolling, the Marlins had no idea either. They get no word from MLB what to do, so they vote in the clubhouse yeah. before the last game with the Phillies whether or not they should play. They vote they should play, but by doing that, everything was already infected. Everything is grossly contaminated in the Phillies clubhouse, most likely. Yeah. So what is your take on that, that there's no protocol and that the Marlins just say, hey, screw it, we'll vote. These guys are going to want to play, right? They're not probably taking this virus that seriously. They all think they're invincible. They're major league athletes with egos. They say, let's go out and play. No big deal. What's your take on that? It's it's insane to me, and I've brought this up on a couple of podcasts here with you, when they were talking about all of the different ways Major League Baseball could come back but didn't come back. Rob Manfred is the worst person at his job, and his colleagues are Gary Bettman and Roger Goodell. Like, that's insane. Gary Bettman had four labor stoppages, and that guy figured out two bubbles with players from across the world, players with visa restrictions, players from foreign countries, from Russia to the former Soviet bloc to the United States. He got everybody to play in two spots in Canada and not leave. Not to mention, not to mention, they're saying that the bubble system that the NHL has in place is just as good as the bubble in place with the NBA. Yeah, but instead, Rob Manfred, for some reason, wants us to watch our favorite teams play in front of empty stadiums. There's no home field advantage. Rob Manfred started a season without the Toronto Blue Jays having a place to play. How does Rob Manfred not let a team that might be in the playoff hunt, certainly now with his stupid expanded playoffs where everybody's going to make it this year, but how do the Blue Jays, a young, exciting team, not have a place to play? There's so much of this that Rob Manfred just screwed up at such a seismic level. We talked about it on the podcast, you and I, and I wrote about it in my last blog that I did. They had an opportunity to have one bubble in Arizona – one bubble in Florida, or one giant bubble in Arizona. Yeah. This was at the time when they couldn't get a deal done with the Players Union, when they were talking about still having a 100-game season, which would have felt a hell of a lot more normal like a regular baseball season. Yeah. Instead, they missed that opportunity. And then he decides to not go with the bubble. And I wrote this, and I think it's prevalent now. Guys like you and me were so excited that baseball was coming back that we didn't ask that question. Why have that? We, we, we actually did. We asked, why aren't they doing the bubble? But we weren't focused on it. Why isn't the bubble happening? We were yeah. excited to have baseball back. The fact that he overlooked that as the commissioner of baseball and did not go with the bubble system. And now, you know, guys like us who are bloggers and podcasters even asked the question, isn't it going to be weird for all these guys to be traveling? Yeah. You're telling me that Major League Baseball didn't ask that question? I'm not surprised there's an outbreak. I don't think this is the last outbreak. I don't think they're going to finish the season. And I think it's all because they didn't go with the bubble system that everyone, whatever, you know, this whole COVID situation is serious, but it is becoming more uh, media-centered and more politicized every single day, which is frustrating in and of itself. But regardless of wherever you are on this issue, everyone agrees that the bubble is the way to stay the most safe, I would believe. Yeah. And the fact that baseball didn't take the advice of the people who seem to know and go with the bubble and now has all these guys traveling all over the place, it's asinine to me. It makes no sense. You even think 
with the way they set up the divisions, people initially thought it was good to only play teams in your respective divisions on either side of the American or National League. But when you sit down and think about it beyond the excitement of baseball coming back, you're taking a team like the Seattle Mariners, Seattle, an original hotspot of the virus, now is leaving and going to play all of the California teams. California is overrun with the virus now. They're going to Arizona, which is having a virus spike, to play the Diamondbacks. And they're going to Colorado, which has handled the virus as well, probably better than any of the other southwestern states. So you're looking, or you're going to the Mets after finding out the news with the Marlins. When they left City Field to go play the Red Sox this week, they canceled their flight and took a six-hour bus ride. So these teams now, if they're close enough, are, are foregoing flying and taking the bus because Manfred had no idea that something like this could happen. It doesn't really make sense about how they thought flying across the country to all these areas was going to work out. Um, Bill Maher, the guy who has real time with Bill Maher on HBO, huge Mets fan. I think he's part owner of the Mets, isn't he? I'm not sure about that. I can't speak to that. Okay. I know he loves, I know he loves the Mets. He's always there. He made a great point. He sent out a tweet or something. I saw it and he said, uh, it makes no sense that baseball thought they could pack a bunch of people into an aluminum can and fly them all over the place and not get anyone infected. But the fact that they can't sit fans socially distant in a stadium in open air making masks mandatory, he said, like, like, like that deviation makes no sense. Baseball is putting the product at risk by slamming them into this plane, yeah, and and and, and want us to think it's okay, but they say absolutely not. We can't have fans socially distant apart in a stadium. It really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The NBA and NHL aren't going to have to answer those questions because they said, we're going to be in a bubble. Yeah. No one's traveling. No one's coming in. No one's coming out. No fans. But when you're playing a sport outside like baseball, everyone says going outside, wear the mask. But now you're making these guys travel all over the place, which is pretty much a no-go throughout the entire country for, for regular citizens but because they're pro athletes, you think it's okay to travel all over the place? Yeah. It makes no sense to me. It, it makes absolutely no sense. They, uh, uh, last night, or by the time this is posted tomorrow morning, uh, the Monday night, the Mets-Red Sox were the national game of the week last night. Yep. ESPN brought on their Korean baseball analyst or insider now because they have an agreement with the KBO to broadcast their games uh, in the early morning hours during quarantine. And they basically said that the fans are back. And what happens there is when the ushers see you with your mask down and you're not consumed and uh, there's no food in the stands now um, right. because they don't want people congregating in areas. But if your mask is down or off, the usher basically tells you mask on or get out. Yeah. So, like, I'm not sure why there's not a third capacity kind of thing here for baseball. Um, I understand with a lot of these states, there's state ordinances now where you can't have groups beyond a certain size. Um, certain states are still allowing it or it's up to the county. So it might be... Well, a- I, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, and 
you know, we we are taking jumps in, on our platform. Since sports have come back, we've seen our numbers jump crazy. Um, you know, Mike and I have tried to bring on people in, onto this ship, and it just hasn't worked out. People get caught up with their lives, and, you know, this is our side hustle. But we, Mike and I are committed to expanding this network, and we're going to do that. We're bringing you guys some new podcasts soon, we promise. Um, and one of them that we're thinking about doing is going to try to have kind of a middle-of-the-aisle breakdown of politics and this and this media cycle that seems to be heavily biased at a lot of on every turn if you're just the optics of baseball looking so poor and mixing it with politics lately has been insane right you bring Fauci to the game to throw out the ceremonial first pitch which I thought was a nice idea granted he threw the worst pitch since Baba Bowie probably um it looked like he tried to go knuckleball it was such a weird motion it was hideous. I mean, granted, he's like 80 years old, and Baba Bowie was like in his 40s when he had his infamous horrible pitch. But then Fauci sits in the stands and doesn't have the mask on. Like this, like baseball just can't catch a W anywhere, right? They had the Astros. They had the labor dispute. They had the foregoing of, I don't know if that's a word, foregoing of the bubble to make all these guys travel. And then they get the guy who's telling everyone to wear a mask, show up, sit in the stands next to two people, and not wear the mask. Baseball is just struggling right now. And honestly, a lot of it is by their own doing. It's not by anyone else, right? The Fauci thing was a bad look, but everything else is baseball's own inability to realize that they had a chance to be the thing that brought the country back a little bit, and they've just totally squandered it so poorly and honestly, everyone's calling for Manfred's job. He's never going to step down. That's not going to happen, okay? These guys make too much money to step down from that job. Look at Goodell. Goodell is $40 million handled, a year and he stinks. Goodell has handled things so poorly. People punching women on camera and it takes him forever to make the right decision. Um, you know, he has, he has become the villain of all villains and... These guys are never going to step down. Manfred hasn't done anything quite like that. But he has just mismanaged this entire situation to a point to where he reports to the owners. And I'm not so sure that the owners aren't going to say, we need somebody new quicker than we thought. And that's really not what happens to baseball, right? You had you had uh, Faye Vincent. You had Giamatti. Giamatti passed away. Um, and then Seelig forever. They can't continue at this rate with Manfred if he's not going to expand the game and make poor decision after poor decision like this. Baseball has done a bad job. As a, as a quick aside, do you believe the conspiracy theory that Giamatti was going to let Pete Rose back in the Hall of Fame? That's a great debate. We could have a whole podcast on that, I think. Or is that Pete Rose making that up? It's tough because they did this E60 thing, and I've watched a ton of interviews on this. And who was it? Faye Vincent? Is that who was after Giamatti? Whoever it was. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, I think. Whoever was the commissioner after uh, Giamatti says that they never had any type of discussion like that whatsoever. But to, Pete's, to, to come to Pete's defense, there was a clause in that original thing he signed that he could be that uh, it would be up to the commissioner's discretion in a year that he could reapply for reinstatement. So everything Pete Rose says and Pete's lawyer said was that they had 
every intention of sitting out for a year, sitting out the suspension, and then uh, applying for reinstatement and getting in. So I think it's like a he said, he said type of situation, and it's tough because we weren't there. But it seems it seems unlikely to me that this was going to be something that was never addressed. Because like I feel like these meetings that he's had with Seelig and Manfred are just like are just bullshit, frankly. Yeah. Um, but look, you have to look at what Pete Rose did in like a, in like a whole other lens, right? We don't know what he was gambling on. It seems like he never bet on his team to lose. Um, look, gambling, like alcohol, like I had, like I'm a recovering alcoholic. People nowadays are more sympathetic to having an addiction, right? And getting better and getting a second chance. Pete Rose never got a second chance. All these Astros players are getting second chances. To me, I am a firm believer that Pete Rose should have been reinstated, and if not reinstated to coach or to play baseball, he should have at least had a chance to be on the ballot because the Hall of Fame is a separate issue from him being reinstated into baseball to coach. If they don't want him to coach again, that's their prerogative. But I think the Hall of Fame kind of takes their lead from Major League Baseball. And because Major League Baseball has been so strong on not allowing Pete Rose back, that the Hall of Fame hasn't either. And I think that's not fair to Pete Rose. I'll tell you this. I went to Cooperstown for the first time ever last weekend. In the Hall of Fame, there's like a touchscreen video board where fans are specifically asked about Pete Rose. So no there's, shit, really. there's a giant video board that's probably two feet by five feet. And you can touch the board. Well, now you touch it with like a stylus. And yeah. you can like type in your my hall of hashtag my hall or something. And they specifically ask like, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? So it's weird. I was just there last weekend to see his cleats, to see his photo, but him not having the plaque there. And for them to specifically ask about him was kind of jarring to me. The Hall takes a very like open view of baseball for all of its faults. So when yeah. you go there, it's interesting that he's not there. And I will say this, right? Pete Rose has made the argument that there's not a bunch of choir boys that are in the Hall of Fame. And that couldn't be as spot on to the truth as anything, right? I mean, that is 100% accurate. If you think these guys that they are electing now didn't have some influence with steroids or some type of cheating, you see, that's the thing that bothers me with the Hall of Fame. It's up to discretion of baseball writers. You have no idea if Mike Piazza, if Pudge, if these guys weren't dabbling in steroids. It's all a guess, right? Barry Bonds never tested positive for steroids, but he's not getting in the Hall of Fame. These things, to me, it's just a hypocritical type of thing. And I, we've, we, we've had this conversation, you and I, off air. It's like someday when we have sons of our own and we want to talk to them about the history of baseball and bring them to the Hall of Fame, or even daughters, whoever's interested in this, bring them to the Hall of Fame and explain to them that none of these guys got any type of second chance like Pete Rose. It's odd to me, right? Bonds is on the ballot. All these guys are on the ballot: Clemens, McGuire, Conseco. You know, guys that had a, that did do steroids. They still at least had their day in the sun to be on the ballot. Pete Rose has never even got that, yeah. and to me, that's just 
that's just odd, right? I mean, even if you want to take out what Pete Rose did as a manager and say he can't be eligible after this date, there's no evidence whatsoever that he was gambling on baseball as a player. Yeah. So why can't he be considered, you know, to be uh, to to be a Hall of Fame inductee as only a player, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just makes no sense to me. I mean, we've given we've given second chances to people that have done far far worse in life than Pete Rose. Martin and McGuire now was a they, hitting coach. Barry Bonds was a hitting coach. Um, no one's touched Sammy Sosa in years, but a lot of those guys came back and were welcomed back into the league. It was it was a news story for two days when McGuire came back. It was a news story for zero days because Bonds was a hitting coach on the Marlins, and they won 12 games that year. And baseball uses the shit out of Pete Rose. They brought him on the field for the All-Century team. The yeah. Reds have given him a statue, have retired his number, uh, brought the, the big red machine back, did a Pete Rose bobblehead day. He's allowed to go on the field for those things and sell out crowds for the sh- shit pie reds who have been brutal for 10 years. But now he has no chance of being in the Hall of Fame. I hope someday we live to see his name on the ballot because I think he deserves it. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the belief that the year after he passes away, they're going to put him in. Which is a complete joke, honestly. Yeah. Um, let's do another ad read. Mike, I just messaged you the Quite on Q ad read. I am going to run to the restroom, hit the people with the Quite on Q uh, ad read, and I will be right back. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is my first ad read. Let's do it. Quite I on Q is a Twitch affiliate streamer who focuses on role-playing and shooter games. If you're interested in a fun streamer who engages with great storylines and adds a competitive angle, Quite On Q is the streamer for you. Consider giving his stream a follow or subscribing for an ad-free premium experience. You can find Q's stream at twitch.tv backslash QuiteOnQ and follow him on YouTube and all socials at Quite on Q. That's quite like right on Q. Socials are quite on Q, all one word. So he's out there playing uh, Red Dead Redemption. If that's something you're interested in, I've never heard of it before because I'm not a video game guy. During quarantine, I've been playing Madden, the 25th anniversary, which is the 2013 season. But if you are into the kind of role playing games, the first person shooters, Q is the guy for you. Be sure to follow his stream. Beautiful. Great first ad read. Um, All right, let's talk NBA, NHL restart. It's happening. Uh, When when are you guys getting this episode? Wednesday? So the basketball restart is going to be on Thursday. Hockey's coming back on what? Saturday? Saturday the 1st. So let's talk NBA, Mike. Let's get into it. Give me some of the top contenders here, and let's talk about each team. We don't got to go through each team now. We'll talk as, you know, the playoff field is set. But let's talk about some of the teams that are in the playoffs. Okay, so the NBA restart, they kick the bottom eight teams out. We do have a couple of what the NBA or has decided the term uh, play-in seeding games because uh, there are some potential seed changes. 
moving into the season. They didn't want to cut out teams that were in the East in the ninth spot where Washington is or in the West. Some of the teams like San Antonio, Sacramento, Phoenix, who are all fighting for the eight seed out West, trailing the Memphis Grizzlies. So there are several teams here looking to play in. The top contenders for the NBA betting odds, who is going to win the NBA Finals? The Lakers are going off at plus 250, as are the Milwaukee Bucks. Lakers, of course, are, have picked up J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters. Smith and Waiters combined for 20-18 and 18 in a scrimmage uh, the other day. Dion, 18 on 17 shots. That's yes. the Dion Waiters line we're looking for. Always oh, believes yeah. he's the best guy on the court, regardless of who's out there. J.R. Smith, former New York Knicks, sixth man of the year. Phil Jackson traded him for Cole Aldridge at the height of his value. So uh, another shout-out to Phil. Um, Lakers, uh, without Avery Bradley, picked up a couple of guys. Caruso playing point guard there. Milwaukee Bucks, the East favorite. Giannis Antetokounmpo, obviously the odds-on favorite to win his second MVP of the year. He's a goddamn monster. What is your take on this with the NBA restart? If they win, the whoever wins the championship, how are you going to view it? Are you going to view it with a big fat asterisk next to it, or are you going to view it as they overcame a lot, they had to sit through this restart, and now they're the champs? How do you how do you think you're going to view that when it's all said and done? So unless I'm thinking about it overly critically. The first Heatles championship, the first Spurs championship were both lockout years. I don't think of necessarily the Spurs beating the Knicks as like a lockout season. I like, agree. I don't think of it that way. It's tough to even go back and think of it that way. The Heat championship, I don't think about that way. And I think it's going to be harder to think about that one. As a lockout championship, just be a shortened championship, just because next year the NBA is going to have to shift everything down so the next season might start around Christmas, the same way that one did. So I don't think necessarily it's going to be an asterisk championship unless your team loses on a bad bounce or something like that. Do you think, I mean, we all wanted sports back, and there's no doubt about that. Us as a blog, us as a podcast, we were clamoring for that to come back. But do you think they should have just waved the flag and tried to get healthy, let the country heal up a little bit, and hopefully get this vaccine out here and just start next season? Uh, are, are we going to look back on this and say this was a horrible, horrible idea? So about a week ago, it came out that all of the tests for everyone in the bubble were negative. So now, now that that's the case, it's harder to believe that there will be a positive case in the bubble. So the bubble itself might work. Greg Popovich, who's in his late 70s, has said he feels safer in the bubble than he did at home. Yeah. So I think that the NBA and the NHL have done it in such a way where the belief of a positive test, now that everyone's been there, is much lower. Um, I feel like the NBA got through 70-plus games in their season. So they needed to crown a champion. I think this is the safest way to do it. They have these smallest rosters. They're spacing everybody out at home. I don't think it's necessarily going to be something we come to regret. I think the biggest scandal so far has been Lou Williams going to a strip club for dinner. Um, Nothing wrong with it. He's a man. (laughs) 
He uh, he went to he went to the strip club for dinner. There's wings on the menu of the strip club named after Lou Williams. How so do you not go then? They're lemon pepper wings named after <laughs> Lou Williams. I don't and I I don't gonna throw this out there. I don't think they're naming wings after dudes who go there for dinner. So like <laughs> Lou Williams might be a frequent guest of this establishment. Um, his camp tried to put out that it might have been an old photo, but Lou was in the NBA-issued COVID mask at the strip club on Instagram. So that's a bad look. Lee gave him a 10-day quarantine. So he's going to miss mean, two of the seeding games. It feels a little like a suspension because Zion only got four games when he left the bubble and came back. So uh, Lou... Got ten games there, so if he's clean, I doubt that there's going to be any positive t- tests. I'm going to bring. I have to. I I have to bring my wife to um, the strip club now because for years I've been saying how good the food is. So now when we go and the food's atrocious, she's going to be like, "Oh, you think this is good? And you just got to play that role." So you know, Lou Williams. Shout out to him. I think he's been. You know, he that's been the excuse for generations. I will read this. So the NBA bubble is occurring in Disney World. Okay. Wild World I'm a sports huge, complex. Yeah. I'm a huge Disney guy, and I have a firsthand account from somebody. Uh, we won't say his name. It's nobody I know, but I but it, it's been posted all over the Disney blogs. He says uh, he just left Disney World, and uh, he says this. He says, I'd recommend Walt Disney World as an experience for everyone this year, including to those who have never been or never cared to go. It may not be the same experience some have seen time and again, but I'll say this. You'd be hard-pressed not to feel some of the magic again. And uh, let's see what else he says. He says it's a special experience. It's a utopia and a safe version of today's society. And he can't imagine anything else being this safe or having someone create such a safe, welcoming, and uh, enjoyable experience. So I think that says a lot, right? Even uh, these um, these amusement parks, Walt Disney World, Universal Studios, have opened up for weeks now, and there has not been one iota of a giant flare-up or the pandemic increasing in these areas because I think people – places with this much money that have the opportunity to create safety measures, um, this is where it works, and this is why the NBA – is so ahead of its time, right? The players, I think, are the most culturally aware and smart uh, group of players in any of the four major sports. I think they have the best commissioner, and I think what they've done in Disney World, the happiest place on earth, the safest place on earth, is the smartest thing they could have done. And I think it just speaks to how good the NBA has become in our lifetime, and what they're doing right now makes so much sense, and um, I think it's I think it's a I think it, I think it's a perfect place for them to try to restart this season. So the odds here to win the Eastern Conference Finals: Bucks are the favorite at minus one sixty-seven. Then it goes to Raptors, Celtics, and Sixers. Raptors at plus seven hundred. Seas and Sixers both at plus eight hundred. The Heat or the plus 1,000 variety. Uh, there, I'm surprised to see the Raptors so high. They're playing very, they play very good basketball. They lost Kawhi Leonard. 
They still have a chance to make some noise there. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch. If you're looking to make some money out in the Eastern Conference, the odds to be the eighth seed, the Magic are plus 200. They're a game and a half behind the Nets. The Nets have no Kyrie, no Kevin Durant. They're starting Jamal Crawford, who wasn't in pro basketball. They've got a group of G-leaguers out there. Uh, no Dinwiddie, no DeAndre Jordan. So if you're looking to get a cheap bet here, Magic plus 200 to catch the Brooklyn Nets to be the eight. I like that a lot. I would take that right now. I think the Nets might lose every game in the restart. I don't think they're going to be good at all. Yeah. They uh, also have a new coach, too. Remember that. Yes, because uh, they fired Kenny Atkinson because Kyrie Irving didn't like him. Exactly. So let's talk about coaches, too. I mean, I think everyone knows, uh, you know, the teams to beat, right? You got the Lakers. The Rockets seem to be up there. Mike just mentioned uh, the Seas, uh, the Sixers, um, the Bucks. Those seem to be the teams. Uh, the Knicks have hired a new coach, Tom Thibodeau. We talked about this uh, recently. Um, let's talk about this. We'll stay in the Eastern Conference, then we'll switch over to what we think in the Western Conference and kind of give our picks on who we think is going to be the champion. But you and I both diehard Knicks fans. Um, what we do you both think wrote of, that Tibbs yes, would be good. Yes, that was good. I'd love to see that on the blog. Double topic. Um, it's a big one. What is your reaction to getting Thibodeau? I was a little bit higher on Thibodeau than you were. I know you wanted Kenny Atkinson. I wanted Jason Kidd. But in typical Knicks fashion... Uh, the Knicks came out and said Kidd was their number one choice, and then a day later it leaked that they don't have any trust in Jason Kidd. The Knicks just stink at everything. Um, but I think they got, in my eyes, the second or third best coach on the market um, and maybe the best coach for the Knicks at this time. Uh, so what do you think about Thibodeau going to the Knicks? So Thibodeau made, his, made all of his, you know, he made his name defensively. The Knicks right. have a couple of guys who play good defense. Frank uh, might not be the offensive person they thought he was going to be or turn into. But the guy does play fantastic defense. To me, he's French Tony Allen. He's a guy who will get you 10 points, 4 assists, but play first team all defense. Mitchell Robinson has already set the Knicks rookie record for blocks. He's kind he. Just doesn't have the stamina to play more than 25 minutes a night. Tibbs is going to run these two guys into the ground. Um, I mentioned this in my blog. We don't know if he's Dusty Baker, who got bad luck with Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. Or is he a guy who kind of runs guys into the ground all the time? Towns and Wiggins didn't have that problem in Minnesota. So I think that Tibbs, if they build around those two guys on defense, they get an they get a point guard in the draft, a LaMelo ball, somebody like that. There's rumors that Carmelo wants to come home. For Please, God. Please, God. We don't ask for much in this shit pile organization. One time, bring him back. But if they go out there and they get these kind of talents, Melo's not going to play defense. That ship sailed 20 years ago. But if they can play just a little bit of defense, I mean, for five years, no one's had a hand in their face from three at all. So like, Carmelo could come back and start, though, and be productive offensively for the Knicks right now. 16 points a game in Portland in a tougher conference. So, and he had two players on that roster that also score. It's not like he's the only yeah. guy there. So I think Tibbs is going to work, to work out. 
I trust Tibbs. He wasn't my first pick. I like what Atkinson did with Brooklyn a little more. But he's the defensive guy. They got defensive guys there. I'm interested to see how Leon Rose is going to build a roster around them. But I think it's going to be a perfectly fine fit. I do too. I just think they really need to give him time to figure this out. Like This can't be one of our typical Knicks coaching hires that we fire a year and a half into what he's trying to do. They have to let him coach all five years. This is the guy you wanted. You have to go out, get some guys to put on this roster that he can coach up, get some defensive-minded guys, bring back that old-school style 90s Knicks basketball. If you come in the paint, you're getting hit. Play defense, You know, win some grind-out games, hold teams to 80, low 90s points every night. That's what the Knicks have to be. And I think by bringing back a guy like Carmelo, who people will think is just a fan grab, I think Carmelo could still be productive. I think Carmelo could, could you know, be a guy that we could look to to score. And, you know, he looks like he's gotten in better shape. Maybe at this stage in his career he realizes he's not going to be the 35-point-a-night guy that he once was and the guy that we grew to love. Maybe he will play a little bit more defense. Maybe he will be, you know, you know for all the for all the – the negativity about Carmelo with how much he shoots and he was never, he could never bring a team to the championship. I've never heard anything bad about him as a teammate. Maybe he would be a good influence for these young guys that, you know, you have a hall of famer on the roster like Carmelo Anthony, kind of like what Vince Carter was at the end of his career, a hall of famer with pedigree who can help teach these younger guys how to perform in the NBA, how to do things on and off the court. Um, you know, how to manage your money, how to expand your brand. This is all things that we want to see out of young guys in the NBA. I think Carmelo would be a great fit to come back home. But to the main point with Thibodeau, you got to let him do this for five years. You gave him a five-year deal, right? You didn't give him a three-year deal. You didn't give him a two-year deal. You gave him a five-year deal. So let him ride this out. This is what the Knicks have done the last few times we've hired a coach. Thirteen coaches since Jeff Van Gundy. That was 19 years ago, right? Van Gundy left in the 0102 season, so less than that. 17 years, 17 full seasons of having 13 different head coaches. you got to let Thibodeau stay and try to turn this into something halfway watchable. Because right now, the Knicks have one of the worst rosters in the league. And we talked about it off air before we started our podcast. We had expectations that the Knicks would be somewhat watchable. And towards the end of this NBA season, they were the farthest thing from watchable. They were pretty piss poor. You got to let Thibodeau come in and try to make this work and try to keep Dolan out of basketball and let Rose and Thibodeau try to figure this out. I'd like to see Derrick Rose come back too, if I'm being honest. A guy who knows how to handle Thibodeau, a guy who has said nothing but good things about Thibodeau, you know, Rose had a bad break in towards ACL, but Derrick Rose is still playing and had a few great years in the NBA the last yeah. couple of years at his age. Bring back a guy like Derrick Rose. Even if he comes off the bench as a second point guard, why not have a guy who knows how to play for Thibodeau and can help these guys adjust to a coach like Thibodeau? I think these are things the Knicks have to consider. Get a couple veterans like Carmelo and Rose on the roster and finally let these young guys play. Yeah. We don't know if Kevin Knox is any good. We don't know if Mitchell Robinson is any good because David Fisdale was a horrible hire. And they, he just didn't play any of these young guys. He was riding, you know, Taj Gibson and guys like that out there every night. We don't want to see that as Knicks fans. We want to 
see these young guys develop into something. And I think that's what the Knicks have to focus on. And I hope that this some that this culture change now with Rose and hiring a guy who is proven like Thibodeau will prove dividends for the Knicks going forward. Um, let's look at the Western Conference. Obviously, the Lakers seem to be the team to beat in the Western Conference. What are your thoughts on the Lakers? Are they the team to beat in your eyes to win the championship? They're going. They're going to have home court throughout, which I don't think means as much um, going into the playoffs here. So, what does that mean exactly with home court? So they just get they they will play on because each team has their own court, right? Yeah. So they so, will get to play on that court. I assume so. Um, the Lakers, it's with you forget they have Anthony Davis. You they got they went out and got LeBron two shooters and Deion Waiters and Jared Smith. I would be interested to see how Deion Waiters is going to play. It looks like the Vogel is trying to uh, do what uh, Mike D'Antoni did in Houston, where he was splitting the minutes between Chris Paul and James Harden, where he was staggering Harden and Westbrook now. He's kind of staggering LeBron and Davis to run with both teams. I think that's a good move. The Clippers are going to be dangerous. I think the Lakers are still good enough to beat the Clippers. I never vote on the Rockets because James Harden's a choke artist. Denver, Utah, Dallas, they don't really enthuse me. But I think it's going to come down to Lakers, Clippers, and I think that LeBron still has enough to get past Kawhi. If you want any sort of value, I would go with the Rockets or the Clippers just because of their star power. Uh, but I agree with you about Harden. You know, I've always loved Russell Westbrook. I've always, you know, had dreams of him coming to the Knicks. Anytime I play 2K, he's my first acquisition that I make a trade for. I love <laughs> Russell Westbrook. Um, but Harden is a choke artist. He had the Warriors dead to rights and lost that series. He's, he's you know, people want to badmouth Carmelo. I mean, Harden is the same exact thing that Carmelo has always been. A scorer who doesn't play a lot of defense and can't get your team over the hump. Um, I love D'Antoni, too, so I hope that they could get over the Lakers. You know my hate for LeBron. Um, and, uh, you know, I would like to see that happen I think LeBron and Davis are going to be a lot to handle. I don't think Anthony Davis will be a Laker after this year. I think he'll go somewhere else. Um, I think this this is their kind of chance to to do it. Um, you know, LeBron is used to that kind of splitting, though. If you remember what Spolstra did with the Heat uh, in the playoffs, he would always, when the guys needed a rest, he would keep Bosh and Wade on the floor together, give them a breather, and have LeBron out there by himself yeah. with, you know, the guys LeBron would be dragging to victories. Um so I think he, I think seeing that Davis Lebron split um, might keep the Lakers a little bit more fresh uh, throughout this playoff run, as opposed to guys like Harden and Westbrook, Kawhi, guys who are going to have to be on the court every single second of every game in order for those teams to be any type of successful. Um, you know, if I had to make a pick right now, I like what the Clippers are doing a lot. I like Doc Rivers. I think he's a better coach than Frank Vogel, even though I do think Frank Vogel is underrated. I mean, he had those Pacers teams at a pretty high level with guys who have, other than Paul George, have turned out to really not amount to much after he left. Um, so just for sake of argument, I think I'll go with the Clippers in the West, and I think i got to go with the Bucks 
in the East, I think the Bucks are just going to be too much to handle. I think Antetokounmpo is just a beast. I think he might be the best player in the league right now. So I would go with the Bucks and the Clippers would be my pick for the finals. And if you're looking for value in the East, I guess I would take the Celtics because I like Brad Stevens. I don't trust the Sixers. Um, I think they need a new coach there for that team. But I would go Celtics as a value pick, and I would go Rockets as a value pick if, from a gambling perspective. Yeah, if I, I, I believe the two favorites are going to get through. You're not going to make any money on Milwaukee just because they're such a favorite in the East. They're the only team that's getting minus odds. Right. So, if I had to look at one, I would take Philadelphia plus 800. Ben Simmons shoots threes now because there's no fans. He went to a sports psychologist because he was scared to shoot. Big proponents of men's mental health here on the podcast. Ben Big Simmons uh, plus 800, the Sixers. Uh, Embiid uh, may or may not be in shape. That's not really his vibe. He's not a cardio guy. I vibe with that. Uh, Miami Heat. Uh, might be my big value pick of plus 1,000 just because Jimmy Butler sent every single member of the Heat a basketball court one week into quarantine. He That's sent them all the stick up, uh, the like jam the broom up basketball hoop that you have in your front yard. Out West, I think the Lakers plus 150 are going to win. But if I had to take a value pick, I would take the Nuggets at plus 1,200. Jokic is skinny. He looks good. He does everything. He runs like he's in quicksand still, even though he's skinny. But that's kind of my guy there. Um, yeah, I would also say, too, I think you make a good point there with the Sixers. Um, you know, just from the uh, talent perspective and also mental health, if it wasn't for mental health, this podcast probably wouldn't be possible. Mike and I would both probably be in shambles somewhere. Um, so I... I, I I like where you're coming from with the value of the Sixers. And I think if you want to really take a shot in the dark and make some real money, you're right. The Heat are somebody, because I do like Spolstra as a head coach, even without LeBron in the big three. And Jimmy Butler, I think, is a phenomenal finisher and somebody that can will a team to victory. So yeah. I like that a lot. Before we go to our last topic of the day, we got another ad read. This is a three-episode, or this is a three-ad read episode. Uh, this is from Novice Clothing. What started as a hobby is now a homegrown business, ready to customize your orders from hoodies to hats to T-shirts and jerseys. Whether you're outfitting an entire team or a cheering section, the Bernardo brothers at Novice Clothing Company will handle it. Nick and Garrett both graduated from LaSalle Institute in Troy, New York, before going on to play college baseball, and they're reinvesting back into their community with this local business. Parents, coaches, and booster clubs you need team apparel, so go out and support a growing local business. Check them out at noviceclothingcompany.com, N-O-V-U-S, N-O-V-U-S, clothingcompany.com, and on Instagram at noviceclothingcompany, and get ready to claim your crown. Great interview with Garrett Bernardo, co-owner uh, of Novice Clothing Company in last week's episode, in our baseball episode. Go check that out. All right, we have golf this weekend. Um, golf is back. Um, this is the final tune-up before we head to the PGA Championship in San Francisco, the first major of the year. Uh, this field is stacked. 78 golfers, and you've got every big name other than Tiger Woods. We can talk briefly about Tiger, Mike, before we get to the odds. Tiger is obviously a lightning rod in golf. What do you think of Tiger's approach with not playing this tournament the week before the PGA Championship? He played last week in the or two weeks ago 
in the Memorial. He sat out the 3M championship, did not look great at the Memorial. Conditions were a little rough. He started out hot, but then fizzled out pretty hard. I predicted that that would happen. Everybody was going crazy. He's back. I said he would struggle to make the cut, which he did. Uh, what are your thoughts on Tiger sitting out this event, first and foremost? So they said at the Memorial that he might have had some issues with his back, which scares me a little because the back is what costs him everything now. Um, so I think perhaps taking a week off isn't the worst idea. A little heating pad, a little roller. Um, <laughs> a little massage from a, little, a Perkins waitress. Yeah. So I think that Tiger... Tiger taking the week off doesn't bother me because he's Tiger Woods. So right. I, it's a shame that he's not playing the tune-up. But because he, they were talking about his back being an issue on a day where it was 100 degrees and it should have been loose, mm. you worry about that. So I, I don't mind him not playing in this one because I, I want him and golf needs him to play the majors. You know, in... In the last half of majors, he's competed in. Um, not only has he performed, but he's been in the hunt to win. If you go back to the 2018 Open Championship, if you go back to the 2018 PGA Championship, you look at what he did last year at the Masters, how he competed at the PGA last year. He has um, had a chance, um, and he's and he obviously won the Masters last year, which is crazy that that has already been a year ago, but. Um, you know, when the, when the lights are the brightest, Tiger shows up. That's how he's become Tiger Woods. So I will not rule him out for the PGA Championship, but I think, I don't think necessarily the narrative that he was sitting out all these tournaments was to gear up for, uh, the majors. I think he is struggling health-wise. Um, I think that's just the nature of the beast with what he put his body through. It's one of those things, man, if you work out a lot, you have more of a chance, like he has his whole career. It seems like if you're in that good of shape, eventually your body slowly starts to break down. Whereas if you're a guy like Phil Mickelson or John Daly, guys who have never really, you know, gone full tilt with the workout stuff, it seems like you might know your body a little bit. And when it feels sore, it's just another day. It's not like where Tiger, you know, has become, you know, injured and then had back fusion surgery. Nobody else is dealing with the type of stuff that Tiger has had to deal with injury-wise, yeah. I don't think necessarily that Tiger is gearing up for majors. I think he is nursing injuries and trying to get through these next three majors because we're not playing the Open Championship this year. Um, but looking at the odds for this week at the top, you got Rahm at 11-1 to to win, McElroy 11-1, DeChambeau 12-1, who is now becoming a complete giant crybaby on the tour? He might be number one crybaby right now. Justin Thomas twelve to one, Cantley twenty to one, Webb Simpson twenty two, Shoffley twenty two to one, Morikawa twenty five to one, Hovland twenty five to one. You look at some of the bigger odds of guys with big names: Brooks Kepka thirty three to one, Sergio sixty to one, Poulter eighty to one, Henrik Stenson eighty to one, uh, Bubba Phil all at a hundred to one, Kevin Nye at a hundred to one. Um, who else we got here? Kisner, 125 to 1. Ryan Palmer, who played great last week, 125 to 1. Keegan Bradley, 150 to 1. Um, and the worst odds in the field are 300 to 1. There are 10 guys at 300 to 1. The lowest is Tyler Duncan, statistically. Uh, I wrote a blog 
not too long ago, go uh, just a few hours ago, go check it out, procrastinationsports.com. Um, I gave my top ten as Ryan Palmer, Kevin Kisner, John Rom, Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, Ian Poulter, Tommy Fleetwood, Sergio Garcia, Brooks Kepka, and I have Tony Finau winning this tournament. Uh, he's been playing well, has just had a problem closing. If you want some value on some guys, Kevin Streelman at 80 to 1, Danny Willett at 90 to 1, Keegan Bradley at 150 to 1, and Mackenzie Hughes at 150 to 1. I don't know if I would bet any of these guys to win because betting someone to win in golf is so difficult. I would bet any of those 14 guys I just mentioned uh, to finish in the top 10. I think that would be safe and I could get on board with that. Yeah, you have to play the values in golf in a way that you don't have to play the values anywhere else. Uh, these guys are all capable of top 10 finishes. They're playing well. Like you said, Tony Finau is playing very well right now. Um, he reminds me a lot of Matsuyama, a guy who's a consistent threat to be in the top 10, top 15 every single week. I think uh, Bryson DeChambeau crushing the ball, but complaining to every tour official in America. Last week, they... He tapped his ball very clearly, um, multiple times, yeah. in the rough to better clear out his lie, which is also against the rules. I mean, in the end, it didn't matter because he won by six strokes, but it was a two-stroke penalty, so he won by four. But uh, you can't try to be the crowd favorite to crush the long drive and then be the I-need-to-speak-to-the-manager-of-the-golf-course guy. So yeah, he needs 100%. to pick a lane. And he has that whiny vibe about him. Um, I thought he tried to become more relevant with getting in good with like the barstool guys and having like this image of being like the nutty professor to where people started to kind of like like him. But he seems to be this new breed of golfers: Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, uh, DeChambeau, Kepka, even to a certain extent, who just seem like they want to complain and they're surprised by what the PGA Tour is. He was complaining about having the cameras around him and having people follow him and having this and and having it uh, having the boom mics uh, get conversations between him and his caddy. Bro, we're playing in a pandemic, dude. There's no fans around, and you're on national TV on the PGA Tour. That's what it is. That's what it's always been. So don't act surprised. Like don't be the Taylor Swift of golf. Like you're shocked by everything that happened, and you're shocked when people are going to give you attention. It makes no sense to me. Like, he, this is why I'm still a Phil guy. This is why I still root for Tiger. This is why these older guys who seem just more in tune with what this is, uh, as opposed to these young guys who just feel the need to whine, or Brooks Kepka saying that, you know, he doesn't really like golf. Like, it's just stuff like that that makes people unlikable. And that's the reason why I love Rory McElroy as one of, if you want to consider him one of these young guys, which he's really not anymore. But Rory seems to understand what this is, right? You know, I think these guys that grew up on country clubs who, you know, had all this, you know, uh, this this hype about them coming onto the PGA Tour and then to be surprised as to what it is is just very odd to me. And I think at a time like this, when you're complaining about there being cameras and microphones around you and your caddy, dude, there's a lot more shit in the world to complain about right now. And the fact that you're complaining about being on national TV, making millions of dollars to play golf really doesn't resonate with Joe Q citizen. Who's working nine to five watching golf as a release. Like 
I get it. You want to win. I know you want to compete. You're putting in all this work, bulking up, doing all this weird stuff that you think is giving you an edge. When in reality, I don't know how much of an edge it's giving you. Uh, you know, you've been in the hunt to win all these tournaments. You really haven't won anything. Um, I think you need to figure it out a little bit more before you start going out here and complaining about stupid things that make people just make fun of you, basically, now. Now you've become the butt of the joke. Now you've become, you know, the 2020 version of Patrick Reed. The Also, just touch on this, golf blew this again last weekend. They were the only thing on TV outside of pro baseball that could have been on all day because baseball, for some reason, they're still playing games at four and seven. They're not. They don't get it either. They're not playing all day. People are home still from the pandemic, or they're on staggered schedules. They should be playing baseball games one, four, seven, ten national TV every day. Um, golf blew this. We're watching it on the CBS app Thursday morning or Friday morning. So the DeChambeau and these guys are complaining about. But it amounts to three hours of footage. Right. So, like, it's not like they're up their ass Thursday and Friday because the coverage doesn't start till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Exactly. You know, you teed off at 8.37. Like, your whole round's done by the time the footage starts. They were cutting to the leaders on the back nine. Yeah. It, 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 you're right. It's like an NBC. Don't get me started with – or CBS. NBC, at least you can get some coverage on the Golf Channel earlier. CBS still has not figured it out in 2020 that we are not paying for CBS All Access or whatever the hell that is to watch golf on Thursday and Friday. Yeah. Yes, we're desperate for sports, but we're not desperate to pay you guys $100 to get CBS All Access and then go shell out another 100 to get NBC it or whatever the hell that is. No one is paying for that, guys. Put golf on TV and watch your ratings go through the roof. Make yeah. your sponsors happy. You, you, you put it on TV so we can watch it. That's the problem. Nobody's interested. I would have watched the 3M Championship if they put it on at a reasonable time yeah. instead of putting it on at 3 to 6 on a Saturday and Sunday night when you got five bums at the top of the leaderboard, guys that I've never yeah. even heard of. It's not moving the needle at all. Put it on earlier when you can watch – Guys like Phil at least play, even if they're not going to perform well. They're guys we know and guys we want to watch. Yeah. They have not figured it out. Them in baseball, they're just incompetent. Oh, let's talk a little bit about um, the fan experience with baseball. So I bought MLB TV. I bought it. $60 for the season. 60-game season, you get $60. Uh, it's a little bit of a better deal in a 162-game season. They get me for 190 bucks. Uh, I get access to all the games. They wanted more if you bought it through your TV provider and put it on the TV, so I did not do that. I ended up um, getting it on the computer, and I'll and I'll stream it through my HDMI cord if I want to put it on the big TV. <laughs> um, Way to get around them. Way to beat the system. Well, I'm not paying $100 for 60 games, especially when I'm a Dodger fan, and the Dodgers are on national TV 20 times out of these 60 games. Yeah. You know? I mean, I buy this so I can watch the Dodgers primarily, um, and then they don't even make it worth buying. So if you want the single team package, they're charging you $10 less. Why would I spend $10 less to get one team when I can spend $10 more and get the full gamut of games? Yeah. But um, I will say this. Watching games with cardboard cutouts in the first rows is way more enjoyable than watching a game with nothing in, in those front totally rows. Totally agree. The, the empty seats... 
is distracting and annoying, and the cardboard cutouts, as dumb as I thought it was going to be, makes it more of a visually stimulating experience. Watching a game at Dodger Stadium or City Field is far better than watching that game at Nationals Park against, you know, you got a powerhouse like the Yankees up against the defending world champs in an empty stadium, and it is brutal to watch, by the way. Yeah. Uh, ESPN still stinks at coverage at uh, at a covering baseball. Oh, Chipper um, Jones was awful. Well, you well you hate Chipper Jones, so we, we were never going to get any type of <laughs> from you out of Chipper. But I I would I would say that the entire ESPN coverage is like delayed. They can't yeah. figure that out. Fox does a phenomenal job. The, you know, Joe Davis did a game. Uh, with Przinsky, who I don't think I think Przinsky's not great, but at least they were listening. You could listen to them. Smoltz and Buck were phenomenal during the Yankee Nationals game. Yeah. But my God, I like a Rod, but he comes up with some dumb things to say during that telecast. Like it, it, him and Vaskersian, who I I I mean I like Vaskersian. Thank God they got Mendoza out of the booth. But you got Chipper, you got a Rod, you got uh, Eduardo Perez. Uh, Tim Kirkshin doing it with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage sounded like he would have rather been grouting his bathtub than announcing that A's Angels game. Yeah. And no emotion whatsoever. And they're delayed. They're talking over each other. Guys, figure it out somehow. <laughs> Fox has at least got him in the same studio yeah. uh, doing the game. Um, ESPN for the Giants Dodger game, the second half of that uh, opening doubleheader. They had Ravage, um, Perez, and Kirkshin doing it from their house. So the feed was all off. They were talking over each other. It yeah. was, it's just brutal. ESPN. Somebody needs to figure it out uh, and get that contract away from ESPN. How great would it be? Remember when we were kids? They had uh, MLB on NBC, and they would rotate the World Series. Yeah. I'm not even asking them to rotate the World Series because Buck, I like on the World Series, but Sunday night. MLB baseball from June to when football starts would be great. Yeah. That yeah. would be great. ESPN's worth like $80 billion. Get these guys better Wi-Fi at their house if you have to. Or hire better announcers to do these games. Yeah. Like get a real announcer to do these games. The problem is everyone's leaving ESPN and ABC. You know, you got Al Michaels over on NBC you got Bucket Fox, and we're stuck listening to Vascursion or Carl Ravage. I mean, do so, I, I, I just think there's other ways to do it. Even if NBC did the whole entire season, um, even when football starts, which, you know, ESPN gets zero viewership for Sunday Night Baseball once football starts anyway, but put that over on NBC yeah. uh, Sports Network Sundays during football. And then put the football game on in regular NBC. But let Al Michaels come back and do baseball and announce NBC baseball yeah. from June to August. That would be incredible because yeah. ESPN just does a bad job. Even even the way it visually looks. When I turn on Fox, it looks like a big game. Even if it's a random Saturday afternoon game. It looks big. The announcers feel like it's a big game. When I tune on turn on ESPN, even in the playoffs when they do playoff games on ESPN, I just don't have the same feeling. The, the the Mets have played twice on ESPN already. Both times, I've muted the TV and listened to the radio broadcast. I tried to do that, but be, with my MLB, you can do that because you're in New York, 
But with me down here trying to listen to the Dodger feed, the radio broadcast was like five to ten seconds behind oh. the coverage of ESPN. So I couldn't do it. I tried. I wanted to listen to Charlie Steiner and uh, Rick Monday, or even when they were playing the Giants, uh, they got John Miller, who used to do Sunday Night Baseball with Joe Morgan when it was way better. Yeah. Uh, and that's me giving compliments to a Giants guy. Um, I tried to do it, but it was just a little ahead. Too far behind. With the, yeah, the, the radio was behind. But I ended up turning it off in the third inning and just listening to the game on the radio like it was 1952. <laughs> you know, it's, a lot of people have said throughout the years that baseball is more conducive to radio. That's a beautiful game the, to listen to on radio. Baseball on the radio was one of the most relaxing things ever. I'm a huge Dodger fan, as everybody knows. So the, the games start at 10 o'clock. I'm dog tired. So I'll lay in bed, I'll put the radio on low so my wife doesn't yell at me, and I'll listen to Charlie Steiner and Rick Monday do the Dodger game over the radio, and I'll tell you, it is an enjoyable experience. It makes you feel like a kid again, and I love listening to baseball on the radio. I couldn't agree more with that. The, the one memory I have the most of listening to the game on the radio, my father and I were in the car with Clemens hit Piazza in the head. Oh, really? Yeah. That's we had a, just that's pulled like up to the house, statement. Clemens hits Piazza in the head, and the whole thing goes silent. And we thought in the car that he was dead. Yeah. Because no one said anything for like eight seconds. And then, like they said, oh, he's up and moving now, or he's moving. So we were like, holy crap, like we thought he died on the radio. I remember growing up where, where I did in Albany, um, you know, I, the Yankee games and the Met games would always be on the radio, and you had... Uh, Howie Rose do the Mets, and you had Sterling do the Yankees. Um, I always just, you know, in the car, coming home from my baseball games, yeah. you know, turning on AM 1300 and catching the Yankees. Um, I remember that very vividly. I had the unique experience of being a Dodger fan uh, since I've been like 12, 13 years old, and the ability to listen to Vince Scully announce a telecast like it's radio yeah. is one of the most unique sports privileges I'll ever have. And I feel bad for kids and people who never got to experience guys like Dick Enberg or um, Vin Scully or Jack Buck call a baseball game on TV but give you this intimate experience that makes you feel like you're listening to a radio broadcast. That's yeah. why. And the great thing about those guys, Scully worked for the Dodgers, Buck for the Cardinals, Enberg for the Padres, but they all had that national baseball experience where they would do big games playoff games and i mean vin scully has his name and microphone retired up on the raft up in the you know facade of dodger stadium and you would listen to vin scully do a game and you would never know he's been the dodgers announcer since 1948 or whatever he was so unbiased and so professional and gave you an extra piece to watching a baseball game it's something that we'll never ever experience again it's it's just something that is one of the great privileges of my life loving sports is listening to Ben Scully announce Dodger games. But um, before we wrap up, let's give our new sponsor one more shout out. Here it comes again. Um, Mulraney has tried it. He loves it. As you guys know, I'm on the wagon. But look, everything I hear from people that have tried this is excellent. If Sam Malone could run a bar for you know 15 years on Cheers, I can sure as hell do an ad read once a week. So. Let me introduce you to the newest beverage to hit the ready-to-drink canned sparkling wine cocktail industry. It is called Champagne. We are launching our first two flavors in early 2021, Champagne and Blood Orange, similar to a mimosa. 
and champagne and peach similar to a Bellini. Check us out on Instagram at drinkchampagne, D-R-I-N-K-C-H-A-M-P-E, and follow our journey from inception to launch um, and everything in between with Champagne. There will be great giveaways, discount codes, merchandise, and much, much more. Again, that's at D-R-I-N-K-C-H-A-M-P-E, Drink Champagne. We can't wait to share our story and hashtag Champagne all day, way of life with you. That's Champagne, Michael. Mike's a big uh, proponent of it, so That's right. uh, go check it out. Uh, anything else for the people, Michael? Send it off. All right, episode 28 in the books. Let's hope there's no more spread of this uh, virus and we get a full weekend of sports. I think we will be doing some Instagram Live stuff with everything that's going on this weekend. We'll have to be up there. So check us out uh, on the blog at ProcrastinationSports.com. And, Mike, what is our Instagram handle so the people at home can check us out Instagram living this week and see what we are up to there? So that is Procrastination underscore Sports. You'll see our logo right there. Procrastination underscore sports. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will be back next week with episode 29 of The Corner Booth presented by Procrastination Sports. For Mulraney, I'm Scores. Thanks again, everybody. We love you. Bye.